Welcome, everybody. Today, we have uh, the pleasure to have with us Dr. Francesca Tucci from the Pediatric Immunohematology and Bone Marrow Transplantation Unit and the Teleton Institute for Gene Therapy of San Raffaele Hospital, Milan, in Italy. Francesca, first of all, thank you very much for accepting our invitation. How are you today? Fine. Thank you for inviting me. I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And uh, are you ready to talk about gene therapy? Because, you know, um, I know some of my peers working with the pediatric disease are eager to listen to our podcast, so we better not let them down. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not to disappoint them <laughs> and to be clear enough with my presentation. I'm sure it will be amazing. Uh, as amazing is your paper on uh, New England. So first of all, congratulations for such an achievement. Thank you. I think it's a very good uh, result for us, for all the team, uh, because it uh, starts from the preclinical uh, uh, platform and arrive to the clinical um, institution. So it's very complete in terms of uh, scientific results for all the uh, auditors. And that's why we have chosen that, uh, to speak about gene therapy. So could you explain us uh, what is Harler syndrome and what are the main clinical features? Yes, sure. So Harler syndrome is the most severe phenotype of mucopolysaccharidosis type 1, which is a very rare autosomal recessive lysosomal storage disease caused by loss of function variants of the IDOE gene, which encodes for the enzyme alpha-idorenidase. The loss of function leads to glycosamine glycane accumulation throughout the peripheral organs and the central nervous system. Therefore, it's easy to understand that it's a systemic disease. So the main uh, clinical features include the coarse facial uh, features, uh, dysostosis multiplex, uh, hepatosplenomegaly, hearing loss, visual impairment, uh, brain atrophy, and spinal cord compression. So the neurocognitive um, regression, which is um, uh, distinctive of the Harler variant, usually is present by the age of eight, uh, of 12 months, and uh, despite a normal psychomotor development at birth. And uh, by the age of eight, 10 years, most of the children are severely intellectually disabled. They are wheelchaired and without any contact with their relatives. So when the, these patients are untreated, death occur uh, within the first 10 years of life, uh, usually due to cardiorespiratory failure. I see. So it's uh, definitely you explain very well what is the main clinical problem and the unmet clinical need in this population. So now let us understand, is there, is there any current treatment for the disease and why is important the new gene uh, therapy approach you described in the New England Journal of Medicine paper? Yes, currently uh, there are two available treatments, include the, the enzyme replace treatment and the allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. The ERT reduces the GAGS accumulation and alleviates some somatic uh, features. 
However, the skeletal and the CNS manifestation are not controlled because the enzyme cannot cross the blood-brain barrier in a significant quantity. And also because the anti-I2A antibodies that are developed in most of the children may reduce the efficacy of the ERT. The, the On the other hand, uh, the allogeneic transplantation represents the standard of care for the ARLR patients. Um, we know that currently the treated patients have high overall survival, especially when they are treated in a very early phase and when the car blood stem cells are, is, are, is used as source. So the donor divaride hematopoietic cells constitute a stable endogenous source of the enzyme, which also may cross-correct the non-hematopoietic cells. However, also in this case of the allogeneic transplantation, uh, the cognitive and skeletal manifestation persists and progress over time also after the allogeneic transplantation, severely affecting the patient's quality of life. So probably in this scenario, uh, the gene therapy uh, may overcome this issue. Uh, and this, this is the reason why we propose as a therapeutic option. In particular, the use of autologous hematopoietic um, stem cells transplantation uh, gene therapy, where we transduce with a viral vector, uh, since which contain an healthy copy of the mutated gene, uh, may allow uh, the supra Product, normal production of the enzyme and also the cross-correction of target cells, including the central nervous system cells. And uh, moreover, being an autologous uh, procedure, all the allogeneic treatment related toxicity uh, are well reduced. I see. Um, thank you for these explanations. Uh, and uh, can you tell us more about how this uh, gene therapy approach uh, that you design works? So can you elaborate briefly a little bit more on the uh, study design? Uh, what these kids that you enrolled uh, uh, did have to face? Yes. Um, so the design, the study design was uh, uh, made here in at the TJET Serafel. Hospital, where we design a new strategy based on genetic engineer of autologous hematopoietic stem cells to drive supranormal I2A activity that is distributed to the affected cells uh, through the turnover of resident hematopoietic cells. Uh, already in the preclinical phase, in the mouse model of the MPS1, we found that the disease manifestation, including the CNS and the skeletal manifestation, uh, were corrected with lentiviral vector-based gene therapy, with also a superior proficiency as compared to the uh, transplantation with wild-type donors, probably owing an higher I2A production from the engineer cassette with respect to uh, the endogenous locus. So um, this is a phase one, two study, which involved eight patients with Arler syndrome who underwent hematopoietic stem cell gene therapy with I2A lentiviral vector. The plant studio was, uh, it was is of five years, uh, and uh, also they will include it in a long-term follow-up of 15 years. 
All these patients lacked assurable allogeneic donors and they have a DQIQ uh, above 70. Consider that uh, a DQIQ score between 55 and 70 represents a moderate cognitive impairment. So uh, the stem cells were collected by leukophysis in two consecutive days after mobilization with GCSF and Plerixafor uh, to reach a drug product of uh, up to 35 million uh, CD34 kilo per, uh, per kilogram. And then also a cryopreserved amount of stem cells were um, cryopreserved as uh, uh, manipulated. Uh, so the CD34 enriched the cells were transduced with antiviral vector and uh, under the control of uh, the human PGK1 gene promoter with um, uh, the use of um, uh, abbreviated ex vivo manufacturing protocol um, and with a single round of transduction also compared to other uh, protocol that we already used. So the, cell, um, the cells are infused at day zero after a conditioning regimen based on rituximab, uh, fludarabin, and uh, busulfan at mammeloablatin dosage. I see. So <clears throat> uh, could you comment on the safety and efficacy also of the treatment delivered to these eight children? I see they appear uh, well at the last uh, follow-up, which is about like you have a median follow-up of uh, two years. Uh, did you uh, see any adverse event during the infusion? Uh, uh, what was uh, your uh, feeling about the toxicity profile of the drug product? Yes, so in terms of uh, safety, um, all the patients are alive and they are well, as you said, after a median time of 2.1 years of follow-up. Uh, they all have a good hematological engraftment that was rapid and consistent in all of them, uh, both for neutrophils and platelets um, that were um, uh, after a median time for neutrophils of 20 years, uh, 28 days, sorry, uh, median time and platelets 14 days after gene therapy. We did not observe any viral reaction, reactivation in the early phase post-transplantation. And also as since it's an autologous procedure, we did not observe any uh, graft versus host disease. Um, in terms of efficacy, uh, the primary endpoint was the, um, the blood I2A activity at one year uh, after treatment. All the patients show prompt and sustained engraftment of the gene-corrected cells and a supraphysiological I2A activity above the 90th, uh, 97th percentile age uh, matched healthy children. Uh, concomitantly, we also uh, um, observed a rapid decline in uh, the urine gly glycosamine glycine excretion, uh, which reached the normal uh, value and uh, remained stable over time. Um, then we also 
did a comparison with an external group of uh, patients with MPS1 who underwent an allogeneic transplantation. And we see that they show a uh, low uh, normal blood IDUA activity and uh, above normal urinary gag excretion, uh, which suggests a less IDUA activity, uh, uh, a less complete correction uh, as metabolic correction. Moreover, we, um, uh, we see in the CSF uh, that um, the I2A activity uh, before gene therapy was undetectable and after gene therapy um, was detectable and also concomitantly also a local clearance of glycosamine glycane was observed so um, suggesting also a, a CNS correction in terms of biological marker. Um, let me let me just uh, clarify. So basically, um, you are now talking about uh, the, the biological measure of uh, this treatment. So how did you how you follow up this patient? And uh, to from a biological point of view, the biological markers mm -hmm. that you um, uh, use were blood, urine, and CCF. And uh, um, uh, you analyze uh, either the um, enzymatic activity or the by product, so the GAG, the glucosamine glycane uh, levels. Uh, that's right? Uh, yes, it's right. So um, the I2A activity uh, was measured by tandem mass spectrometry on blood and on plasma. Uh, the glycosamine glycane, the heparan and dermatan sulfate uh, were measured by HLPC in the urine and also in the CSF were assessed uh, the I2A activity and uh, the, uh, the levels of uh, glycosamine glycane. And then uh, in also- I was um, about to ask you, um, how often did you measure these, um, these uh, biomarkers? So um, the time points were um, for, for the protocol and uh, um, to reach the success of the protocol at one year uh, follow-up. So that was the primary endpoint of efficacy. But then also, Every, eight, uh, every six months uh, after gene therapy and at one year and two years post-gene therapy, we assess all the biological uh, um, markers, uh, while the uh, clinical uh, assessment was, um, for example, for the um, neurological point of view, the uh, MRI imaging, uh, they were obviously more uh, at one year and two years, also because sometimes the um, modification and the improvement cannot be uh, observed very so strictly so um, in a short time. Of course. So uh, before going to the clinical point of view, uh, let's talk about uh, safety concerns. Uh, we know <clears throat> that uh, gene therapy may have some problems of immunogenicity and insertional mutagenesis. Um, I see very encouraging data in your manuscripts. Can you tell us more about these two aspects? Uh, yes, you're right. Um, in terms of uh, immunogenicity, so um, 
um, seven out of uh, these eight patients already received ERT before gene therapy. And while uh, five of these seven patients uh, have at baseline out antibodies anti-IDUA, after three months after gene therapy, all of them uh, did not show any uh, out antibodies. Uh, in terms of uh, genotoxicity, also, you're right, they, um, uh, there is, it's a potential complication of uh, gene therapy. But from our point of view and our results, especially uh, results of 10 years of follow-up in our uh, gene therapy protocols uh, where the same antiviral vector backbone was used, we did not highlight any event of clonal dominance. All the patients have highly unstable polyclonal repertoire with non-dominant integration site expanding or persisting over time. Awesome. So, um, so far, so good. Yeah, okay. Okay, and long-term follow-up, I'm, I'm sure like uh, everybody's eager to see what will happen, but I'm sure like from your result that we can see it's um, definitely encouraging and promising. So um, same question of before regarding the efficacy of the treatment, but from a clinical point of view right now. So how did you follow up this kit? You previously mentioned the MRI, for example. So how, mm -hmm. do you, how the, did the gene therapy influence the typical, as you were saying, neurological and musculoskeletal features of the disease? Mm, yes, in terms of um, uh, neurological performance, the motor function was assessed by Peabody scale, and we observed that all the patients progressively acquired motor skills. Uh, seven patients have a total motor performance within normal uh, limits at the last follow-up. Although the observation is limited, the period is limited, uh, progressive gain of cognitive and language skill was observed. Uh, regardless of whether the DQIQ score at baseline was normal or below average. Indeed, the four patients with a cognitive performance at baseline, no, a normal cognitive performance at baseline uh, with a DQIQ above 84, 85, um, they continue to track uh, in normal range. And um, as you mentioned before, the, a qualitative comparison of the brain MRI uh, was performed at one and two years after gene therapy. And uh, this comparison with the baseline shows stability or reduction in white matters, white matter and perivascular space abnormalities, which are typically of uh, uh, features, typical features of MPS1. Uh, from, for the skeletal manifestation, so we use the longitudinal growth as a measure, as a surrogate for the skeletal manifestation. Also in this case, the follow-up is limited, but the all the patients continue to track along their baseline WHO growth percentile. Um, we also measure the range of motion at the shoulder and the knees, and um, we observe a progressive improvement in the, joist, in the joint stiffness already after the six months uh, after uh, gene therapy. 
And then also for the, um, um, the spine uh, was evaluated by MRI and uh, we, see, we saw um, improvement uh, or a stability in the typical MPS1 MRI features like the cervicothoracic and thoracolumbar kyphosis and also the spinal cord, um, spinal um, canal stenosis that are uh, typical of this uh, disease. Nice. Yeah, that's very uh, encouraging for all, um, all of us uh, that uh, uh, are so impressed by this result. Now, um, I also see that uh, especially the follow-up time of your study is coincidental with the ongoing, unfortunately, uh, still uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So would you tell us uh, um, how this uh, impacted on your trial and the contingency plan you use to overcome this issue, because of course being involved in a clinical trial entails that you have to go to hospital, do a lot of uh, routine, routine checks. So I would like to have more uh, feedback on that. Yeah, the COVID pandemic really uh, modify all our plan and all the program in all the clinical trials i think not only in our center but all the centers so what we did was to uh, with the help of the local health providers we tried to have some remote visit um, that they perform at their home country consider that uh, these eight patients are come from all over the world and um, so we, at that time, especially in the first time, in the first period, we were not able to, to uh, assess all the secondary endpoints. But when possible, also thanks to the uh, efforts of the research nurses and all the physician and all the organizer of this trial, uh, which um, assessed the primary endpoints, receiving samples from the country, and. So so in this case we try to um, to have a continuous follow up and uh, as soon as the travel uh, were again permitted we guessed our patient uh, who were clearly uh, really strictly monitored also for covid PCR swabs it's very impressive uh, how uh, you managed to have a contingency plan and also to, uh, by the way, wrap up your uh, trial and also get it published in New England Journal. So like double congratulations <laughs> for that, like not even a pandemic uh, can stop uh, uh, Thank you. All, all, all the TJET work and colleagues. Nice. That's very impressive. So now what's next? Is it really like the editorial to your articles that says the beginning of an end of allogenic hematopoietic transplantation for Arler syndrome? What do you think about that? Yeah, that title really impressed me. Uh, the author of the editorial 
I think gave very good comments of our results. And I may admit that they correctly underline that our results are only on eight patients, so small amount. And also that the follow-up is still very short, especially for the bone and the CNS manifestation, especially comparing with the allogeneic transplantation that have uh, um, clearly a longer follow-up um, um, a longer follow-up. And I think uh, that the most uh, important key message that they, they gave in this editorial was underlining the efforts of our team to move the field one step closer to unidealized uh, therapy that we maybe will someday result in a complete uh, correction of the earlier manifestation with minimal toxic effect on one end and hopefully a reasonable cost. I see, yeah. That still are uh, high. It's always like a problem and then like uh, for new therapy, also cost effectiveness uh, and uh, availability to low income uh, um, and developing countries. countries. But it's very nice also to see the inclusiveness of your, of your trial because you have just said that these patients were coming from all over the world. So this, this is also like a an added bonus uh, to the quality of your research. Last question is more uh, a curiosity. Um, why did you decide to study this disease and what are the plans for the future for yourself, for work? I, I already foresee some inspirational words for our trainees. <laughs> They're all here. So um, I hope not to disappoint them. <laughs> So the rationale to study this disease uh, comes from the fact that our institute, Sarafele Tijet here in Milan, have a has a longer experience on gene therapy to, in other uh, monogenic diseases, in particular other lysosomal storage diseases, such as metachromatic uh, leukodystrophy. So the therapeutic potential of gene therapy for uh, lysosomal storage disease, which are characterized by extensive um, CNS manifestation, is based to the contribution of the hematopoietic stem cells to the turnover of CNS-resident microglia. Since microglia cells have been implicated in the panatogenesis of a number of neurodegenerative conditions, including these cells should be considered as a primary target cell type in therapeutic strategy for lysosomal storage disease with a neurological involvement. Indeed, uh, our plan, future plans, are both focused on uh, MPS1 and other lysosomal storage disease. Uh, we are currently preparing, uh, together with the sponsor of Chart Therapeutics, the design of a phase three study, phase three study for MPS1 gene therapy, which would also allow, uh, allow us to arrive to the registration of the drug product. And also, um, uh, the other aim is to have a more prospective uh, comparison with the allogeneic uh, transplantation, also uh, if them were, uh, will be performed in other centers. And on the other side, we are also designing a phase one, two study as a platform study to evaluate the safety and efficacy of different IMPs for different lysosomal storage disease with the same rationale to correct the bone and the CNS manifestation. Personally, what I can 
say that I wish to keep progressing, uh, progressing in uh, this field. Uh, it's an honor and a great responsibility to contribute to give uh, new opportunities to the patients. And um, uh, there is so much work to do, uh, but I'm actually truly excited uh, uh, also contributing with my, the passion and the commitment to, together with the other uh, uh, researcher and scientists who are part of uh, the team. Thank you very much. And uh, I, I wish you all the best for the future. And again, uh, I thank you so much for having accepted our invitation and for um, uh, the outline of uh, your uh, research paper that uh, is really impressive. Again, uh, on behalf of all uh, the EDMT training committee, thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.